I am here tonight to deliver a message of unity and strength, and it is a message deeply delivered from my heart. That, of course, was President Donald Trump addressing a joint session of Congress. Last night, his first address before Congress. We are going to spend much of the show today, of course, talking about the president's address. Very different Donald Trump we saw in uh, in the Capitol last night at the podium. Very different delivery, very different ideas in some cases. Uh, a more presidential, perhaps, Donald Trump than we have seen in the past. Uh, what did you think of what the president said? What did you think of some of the ideas he laid out? He did get to some specifics about how he would change the Affordable Care Act, for instance. He talked about immigration. He talked about some of his economic ideas. How did it fall on your ears? We're going to want to talk about that uh, much of this hour. As I said, 313-577-1019 is the number to join that conversation. It's 313-577-1019. But up first, the 2018 race for governor is beginning to take shape as well. We already have a sense of which well-known politicians in Michigan are thinking about a run. Former state Senate Democratic leader Gretchen Whitmer has already announced that she's going to run, and she spoke about that here on Detroit Today last month. And it's not much of a secret that people like Democratic Congressman Dan Kildee of Flint, Lieutenant Governor Brian Callity, and Republican State Attorney General Bill Sheely are all really eyeing uh, next year as uh, their time to take a ru- uh, run for governor. But we're also beginning to see interest from people who aren't as entrenched in state politics. Uh, this weekend, former Detroit Health Director Dr. Abdul El-Sayed launched his campaign. He's a 32-year-old Rhodes Scholar and the son of parents who fled Egypt under political duress. He left his job as the city's health director to run for governor. He joins us now to talk about uh, why he's doing that, Uh, Dr. Abdul El-Sayed. Welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, So let's start with, uh, I think, a a pretty obvious question. Why do you want to do this, and why should (laughs) voters support you? Well, I think um, what's become clear is that politics as usual has not uh, benefited the average working person in Michigan or the United States. And in 2016, we saw a big rebuff of politics as usual, except for we went a direction that I think uh, folks are starting to have a little bit of remorse about now. Um, But what it is is that we have a system that has largely benefited uh, the hyper elite, a system that was born on the idea that government is just another business like everything else. Um, And we've gotten the same old, somewhat uh, stale kinds of politicians who have the same exact experiences um, who don't really bring much to the table aside from having known the right people for a really long time. Yeah. I'm a doctor. Uh, I'm an educator. I'm a public servant. Um, I spent my career uh, dreaming about being um, somebody who could uh, provide basic support services for people um, and support their health. And as I went through my training, I came to realize that the challenges that people face have a lot more to do with the circumstances of their lives. And I believe people really want something very simple out of out of their lives. They want to be able to work a dignified job um, that pays them a wage that uh, they can rely on, that um, they know will stay if they get sick or something happens to them. Um, they want to have enough to be able to perf- uh, support their family and to be able to know that they have a little bit left over on the weekend to take a spouse out to the movies or to buy gifts at, at Christmas. Um, and then they want to be able to dream about the about the direction their children's lives are going, to believe that those children are going to have a better life 
than they did. And I think for the first time in American history, there's a lot of anxiety about whether or not those things are true. And I believe that my skill set right now, particularly given the direction that our state government has gone and the direction that federal government is going, particularly given what uh, what the president said yesterday, um, people need a... Uh, a servant of the people who believes that government is not a business. Government is uh, this beautiful thing that we do in this country for people and by people um, that provides real services to real people, particularly our most vulnerable, uh, our working class, our middle class, and does not continue to sell government out to corporate elites who get to make decisions about their corporate quarterly bottom line. Yeah. Um, talk about why you wanted to announce now. I mean, we are we are at least a full year from, I think, the gubernatorial campaigns actually getting into gear to try to to try to make that run uh, for for governor. We have municipal elections in Detroit and several other communities this year that I think are going to sort of occupy people's time and certainly command a lot of the fundraising space uh, in this state. Why, why? I asked this same question of uh, Gretchen Whitmer when, when she was talking with us about her announcement. Uh, why, why, why subject yourself to this <laughs> for two years? I think fundamentally at the end of the day, politics is about, um, about working with people to make decisions about how best to build solutions uh, for our collective lives. And that takes a lot of conversations, and that's going to take a lot of time. Um, I know I have catching up to do in terms of uh, getting out across the state and meeting people in this in this vein. Uh, but I know I start on a really great base, having been health director responsible for six hundred and seventy-seven thousand lives uh, in this city. Um, I'll tell you also that um, <clears throat> that I think um, the 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 ability to build a conversation and to build a movement that takes a lot of time. I win this race because I'm able to build a movement about what politics can be. Um, and about what government should be for uh, for all of us, not just some of us. Um, and also, you know, for me, I um, my, my my dad was not attorney general. My uncle did not occupy the congressional seat that that um, that I now occupy. Uh, my parents didn't play golf in the same golf clubs uh, as everybody else. My parents immigrated here uh, in the late 1970s, and so um, I need to be able to build a grassroots movement um, that supports. Uh, 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 the kind of governance and government that allows all kinds of people uh, to aspire to leadership. And yeah. so um, I know that I'm, I'm making up uh, ground in a system that tends to be grouted out by, uh, by establishment elites. And um, as somebody who's not establishment and not an elite, um, I, I'm going to take this time to have those conversations, to build this movement, um, and, uh, and really have a conversation about what government can be for Michiganders across the state. Uh, talk a little about your your place in the Democratic Party. Uh, the Democratic Party in this state has has had a hard time, I think uh, I think it's fair to say in the last eight years, finding its voice in this race in particular. Also look at the other statewide races. They're not doing well there. What What is it that you think needs to look different about Democratic politics to win at the state level? So I want to go back to that image that, that we talked about in the beginning, what it is that people fundamentally want from government. They want the opportunity to work a dignified job. They want to make sure that that job is not going anywhere. They want to know that that job is going to pay them enough to take care of themselves and have a little bit left over, and they want to be able to dream for their children. Um, those challenges, whether you are poor or working class in Detroit and African American or poor and working class in Lanawi County and white, those are the same challenges um, and opportunities that you look to. And uh, w what I would love to be able to have a conversation about and start to build is the kind of opportunity for everybody to have that kind of aspiration. And right now, um, right now, I think our party 
has largely forgotten that these are the challenges that people face. It it is important for us to be able to advocate on issues like diversity and, and issues like um, uh, uh, equal rights and equ- issues like um, marriage equality, and those are really important critical issues. But if we have also forgotten um, that there are uh, people all over our state and our country um, who are suffering because they cannot guarantee themselves those basic uh, opportunities that since 1776 we have largely taken for granted in this country, um, then we have forgotten the core of our party and our message. Um, for me, it's about rekindling that focus. Um, I am not interested in corporate support. I'm not going to court uh, the corporations in this state or anywhere. If they're interested in coming along because they believe in people like I do, um, then we'll have a fantastic conversation. But for me, I'm interested in working with anybody who believes um, in a dignified life uh, for uh, folks all over the state. I don't care how much money they make. I don't care what race they are. I don't care who they're attracted to. Um, I don't care uh, you know, when they came here or how they came here. Um, I care that they, uh, they have the kind of life that all of us want to aspire to. Uh, this is Detroit Today, a 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is uh, Dr. Abdul El Sayed, Democratic go- candidate for governor in 2018, former health director right here in the city of Detroit. We are talking about his announced now candidacy for that role, where he fits in the emerging field of candidates uh, for that job, which will be on the ballot in 2018. Uh, we also are going to talk, of course, about uh, Donald Trump and uh, the president's speech last night before a joint session of Congress. Lots of the things that he talked about, immigration, health care, the economy, trade. What did you think of what the president said? Did his new sort of more presidential tone really strike you as sincere and maybe a marking of a shift in the way that he is going to handle this job? Or did you think maybe it was all uh, just another another iteration of this mercurial uh, personality who is in the White House. Uh, we're going to want to talk about that most of the show today. 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. Let me know what you thought of how the president did last night. Let me know uh, what your <coughs> expectations were. Did he meet him? Did he fall short? Uh, what, are you, what are you thinking today about uh, some of the things that uh, the president said. Again, uh, 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDT Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Uh, we'll work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Abdul, you uh, you were the health director here in the city of Detroit, and we, we've talked in the past on this show with you uh, about the tremendous challenges that we face here uh, in Detroit with health, health maintenance, uh, health access, all kinds of things that drive the other problems that we see in in the city. Uh, talk about for, for you, given that that is your, your background and you have an, a, a very impressive background in that field, how would that look uh, in the governor's chair in Lansing? Yeah. So health is a, is a great lens from which to see the challenges that people face. You know, when I sat across the uh, the office from uh, from patients of mine, they would talk a lot more about the consequences and circumstances of their life. Um, and you could see how those immediately translated into the kinds of chronic diseases that they suffered and the opportunities that they had um, to heal and to get better. Um, and so, you know, for 
for me, it really is fundamentally about using that frame of public health, not just to fix the tremendous public health challenges that we have across the state, but also to be asking upstream questions about what are the things that we need to do in terms of providing meaningful jobs for people, reinvesting in public education, and yes, fixing a public health infrastructure uh, that are going to, to create whole communities again. Um, Specifically on the public health side, I mean, it's very clear that the challenge with running government like a business, I know it's a trope that that, uh, folks on the right like to use all the time, um, but the problem with businesses is they only pay, they only cater to paying customers. So if you are somebody who's vulnerable and relies on government for some a basic set of services to build the kind of opportunities that you need, well, you're out of luck uh, because a government run like a business doesn't care about you. It cares about people like the kind of corporations that Donald Trump talked about cutting taxes for over the long term. We cannot do that here in Michigan. And the, cir- the consequences of that um, are uh, bringing a team of accountants to make decisions about water um, and then poisoning 9,000 children in Flint or failing to see an opioid crisis coming or do anything real about it or uh, being in a position where you're fundamentally playing defense around the potential for 887,000 people to lose their health care uh, because we don't have a real plan. You know, if you listen to what Donald Trump said yesterday about his health care plan, quote unquote, it was a series of good ideas, right? I think we should do this and that and the other. They're not a coherent plan. It's not a system. It's very clear to me. Uh, people are playing fast and loose with uh, something as core as access to healthcare. And I want, I want to put, put that in mind for a second, what that means. You have millions of Americans and hundreds of thousands of Michiganders who suffer chronic diseases. That means they need regular primary care access and access to secondary and tertiary care if and when they have exacerbations of their disease. That means that those people not only will suffer the consequences uh, of losing health care, but over the long term, the fear and the anxiety of knowing that just around the corner, um, you may hit financial ruin because you cannot pay for your health care. Uh, that would save your life. Yeah. Um, and so all of that, I mean, healthcare for, for us is going to be a critical issue. It's something that we are going to have to go on the offense to to, to uh, protect and support when I'm governor. Um, and thinking about public health and the things that we do in society to keep people healthy in the first place, um, those are things that need a fundamental overhaul. But yeah. it starts with doing the basic things right. People need to have paying jobs. They need to know that those jobs aren't going away. They need to know that those jobs are going to provide them a living wage that they can rely on. Um, And they need to know that their children are going to be prepared for the jobs of the future. That means we're building the economy of the future here in Michigan rather than trying to play defense. Um, And at the same time, our children are getting the kind of public education that has been fundamentally dismantled by uh, Betsy DeVos and her clique. Um, and, uh, and that just can't be. If you look at the numbers around public education, I'm a proud graduate of public education all the way through college, um, and I know what this society did for me, um, but we're not doing that for our kids, whether they're in Detroit or they're in Owasso or they're in Ishpeming. Uh, we are failing to provide that basic capacity to get those jobs that we are so worried about leaving the United States. Well, if our kids are not uh, capable of actually having them because they don't have the requisite skills and they haven't been trained appropriately, well, then those jobs are going to go elsewhere. You yeah. cannot disinvest in public education and have a coherent conversation about the future of the economy. Yeah, uh, Stephen on Facebook uh, says, Dr. El Syed, if you win, please insist to the U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan that they form a grand jury and seek indictments against Rick Snyder, Kevin Orr, and others for the hostile takeover of Detroit city government. There's no statute of limitations on treason. Uh, Stephen, with some very strong thoughts and words there about what he'd like to see you do. Um, What's your your take on what happened here with the restructuring, the bankruptcy, the emergency manager, 
lots of people, lots of people like Stephen were were deeply, deeply uh, offended by it, uh, against it. Lots of other people felt like it was just a, a necessary step in sort of rebooting city government. What's your take on it? Look, I think local control matters. Um, we, we need people living in communities to be making decisions about communities. Um, the restructuring and the emergency management, the way that they were performed more than anything else, um, I, I think are, uh, are, are how and why um, people like Stephen are so uh, rightfully upset. I'll tell you, I came back to Detroit um, uh, to rebuild the Detroit Health Department after it had been closed. A 185-year agency um, had been closed facing up um, municipal bankruptcy here in Detroit. Now, when a city disinvests from something as fundamental and as important as public health and does so as a result of state procedures, one has to ask, what are we doing here and why? Um, particularly in a city where uh, the infant mortality rate was higher than Mexico's. The asthma rate was three times the rest of the state. Um, the, the city uh, accounted for more lead cases than any, any of the rest of the counties in Michigan combined. Um, those public health challenges, we f we dropped, right? We just said we're not going to do this anymore. Um, and we have to ask ourselves, what kind of society do we live in when government doesn't see a responsibility uh, to the most vulnerable um, and to protect the well-being of babies and children um, and adolescents? And so uh, that, to me, is emblematic of the ways that that emergency management has been waged um, and, and how it has been so... Uh, so dastardly in many cases for the communities in which it has happened. And and I always try to put this question in a much greater context. I mean, we got to the point where we were with emergency management and the bankruptcy over a long period of time. And because of lots of decisions that were made at the state and the federal level that didn't have anything to do with local uh, local decision makers. Now, uh, of course, our local decision makers made some really awful choices and decisions as well, and there's no way, there's no question they needed to be held responsible for it. But the the longer term disinvestment in the city, the longer term turn away from the idea of cities as vital places in the state of Michigan or throughout the country. I mean, it, it, this is the sort of bedrock, I guess, that was laid for the problems that we had. And we haven't been able to get Governor Snyder or, frankly, Governor Granholm before him or Governor Engler before her to really engage in what it would look like to turn that back. Talk about what your approach to that would be. It's not just about emergency management, but how do you prevent the, the circumstances that cause emergency management? You know, so Stephen, you have kids. Um, and if you've ever taught a kid to ride a bike, you know, the, the solution if they fall off the bike is not to yell at them and then throw away the bike. The solution is to get them back on the bike and to walk with them as they take off themselves. Um, I think the, the, the idea that governments should be efficient and not squander their resources, that's obvious. But let's not stop paying attention to how cities like Detroit or Flint got in this position in the first place. There, was, there, were, there were trends in the way that society moved, disinvestment by large corporations, um, a, a reliance on one or two uh, industries, um, a failure to, uh, to equitably transmit state resources. Um, a, a segregation of poor and largely minority people in, in the middle of these cities, um, and then asking why, uh, why income opportunities are low and tax bases have suffered. Um, and I think the way that I would like to see state government intervene in situations like this is much more of the parent who's walking slowly by 
the child who's on a bike, right? Because we know that our cities have to take off. If you ask yourself about the economy of the future, I mean, if you look at our public universities, they have in, a, in, a large, in, in large part become launching pads for some of our best and brightest out of the state. And that's because those best and brightest um, people in my generation don't see economic opportunities for themselves here. And so instead, they go and build the economies of the future in places like San Francisco or New York. We have to be able to invest in the kinds of places that millennials um, and our talented folk want to stay so that they can create the kinds of economies and the kinds of jobs that all Michiganders can benefit from. And so when we disinvest from cities, what we are largely doing is disinvesting from the future of our economy. And so we have to be able to be thoughtful about how we partner hand in hand, right, parent by bike rider, um, to, to be able to create the kinds of cities that are sustainable into the future. Um, and sustainability doesn't mean walking in, cutting costs, changing the water, and poisoning a bunch of kids. Sustainability means asking yourself very basic questions about governance, very basic questions about um, what comes in and what goes out, what we invest in, and being there to support in the setting where a city cannot do a fundamental basic service itself. Yeah. Um, you know, the public health example in, in Detroit is a perfect, perfect one because uh, the idea was to transfer uh, the public health agency into a nonprofit, and that nonprofit fundamentally failed, and there was very little state support. Um, to be able to make sure that very basic things like providing lead testing for children uh, were provided. So the city didn't provide any lead testing, nor did the state, uh, for about two years there in the city with the highest uh, lead poisoning rates in the state. We can do better if we focus on vulnerability, and that's a matter of leadership. What do we care about as a society? Where are we going to put our eggs, and how are we going to make sure that those things are protected? Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Dr. Abdul El Sayed, a Democratic candidate for governor in 2018, former health director for the city of Detroit. We're talking about his decision to jump into the waters, test the waters for government, for governor, uh, a full two years almost uh, before, before he would take. Uh, take office as governor if he were successful. Uh, we're talking about his ideas for government. We're talking about uh, the things that uh, he sees as uh, as uh, in need of improvement here in the state of Michigan. You want to join the conversation, have a question for Dr. Abdul El-Sayed, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. Also stay tuned to our discussion of President Donald Trump's speech last night before a joint session of Congress. What did you think of what the president said, what did you think of the change in tone, the very dramatic change in tone that we witnessed last night in this presidency? Is it here to stay? Will this be the new Donald Trump as president? Or was this just him uh, sticking to the script, reading from the prompter, uh, and that he will, as soon as he's back off the prompter, return to the sort of more pugnacious personality we have become accustomed to. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number to join that conversation. Let's go to Robert in Wild Wet Lake. Robert, welcome to Detroit Today. Robert, you there? I am. Are you, can you hear me? I can. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on. Sure. Um, my question was for the doctor and uh, the governor candidate. And mm -hmm. um, I was just wondering, I think the number he used was 877,000 uh, Michiganders who can possibly lose their health care with what's going on with the repeal. And uh, I was just wondering, with the flip side of that, what are we doing to help out relieve the, the strain on the people who 
can pay for health care but cannot use it because of the cost is too high. I mean, right. I pay for my family of four, and it's always a, con- a conscious question. If we don't have to go to doctors, let's not because the co-pays are too much. The x-rays are too much. The hospital's too much. But to think, well, 887,000 might, people might lose their health care, well, I, I'm paying for that as as well as my family. So where is the relief? Where is the consideration for us? Yeah. Robert, great question. Uh, I'm glad you called and asked uh, Dr. Abdul El-Sayed to uh, take a crack at that. Yeah. So I'll tell you, um, I, I want to just walk back through the intellectual history of, of how the ACA happened. The ACA was initially a conservative idea. It was an idea that was founded by the Heritage Foundation, which is a conservative think tank. And then it was implemented first by Mitt Romney in Massachusetts as um, what they called Romney Care. Mm-hmm. It was a conservative idea. And the reason it's a conservative idea is because it, it plants a market, um, even if that market is highly regulated. What we should have done, and what I hope someday we might do, is come to terms with the fact that in most high-income societies, there is either a single payer or a single provider. That's something like Medicare for all. Um, and that takes uh, the strain of having to pay for health care off people like Robert and his family uh, because it is uh, unfortunate in our society and one of the in the richest country in the world um, that uh, people like Robert have to struggle with making decisions about whether or not they go to the hospital or go to the doctor when they're sick because they don't have to pay that ridiculous super fat copay. Um, and that's because we've 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 compromised our values around this rather than being like most high income societies and saying, you know what? Um, the government has to be able to be a part of this because the market for healthcare is fundamentally broken. Um, in, in, when you when you go to the doctor, you don't know what you want. You can't say, "Dear doctor, I want you to do the following exactly the following things," because you're relying on the doctor to tell you what you need and then to do it for you. In the same situation, you can't shop around because it's not like if you get in an accident, you're going to say, "Look, I'd like you to take me to three different hospitals, and I'm going to go to the one with the best rate." That doesn't happen. And then finally, you have an insurance system where um, the rates that you think you pay could differ substantially based on who your insurer is. So this idea that markets solve things, they do when I'm in the market for something like a car or when I'm in the market for a jacket. Um, I can go and I can decide how much I want to pay. But when it comes to healthcare, none of us are the kinds of consumers that make markets make sense and none of us are the kinds of producers that make markets make so, sense. So here's a question, though. Uh, if you went to that that single-payer form of health reform, um, uh, would that lower costs? I mean, would that make it cheaper? Someone's got to pay at some point. And part of the problem is that healthcare is just expensive. And we have a lot of people in this uh, country whose health care is always going to be more expensive than other people's. I mean, is it is it a sort of a false promise to say if we had a single payer, uh, uh, if we had a single payer system, someone like Robert would would be able to pay less uh, than he is now, or would he just be paying through a different means? I mean, would it be a tax that he pays that he doesn't pay now to make sure that everybody has coverage? So. The best we can do is look at uh, other countries that that um, have single payer systems. We pay about 19 cents on the dollar of every dollar spent in America on healthcare. On healthcare, sure. that is absurdly high comparatively to any other high income society, right? So if you go to a place like England, they're paying five to six cents less than we are, and yet they actually have a single provider, meaning the NHS provides services for everybody. If you go to Canada, it's substantially lower. So part of the reason is, is because one of the challenges with our market-based system is that there's a lot of opportunity for lobbying by folks like Pharma or the American Hospital Association or uh, the American Medical Association so that our, our rates tend to be very inflated relatively. And because we have situations like direct-to-consumer 
uh, marketing of pharmaceuticals, folks often are getting far more expensive treatments than they really need to be getting. In the end, what we have to remember about healthcare is that nobody actually wants to buy healthcare unto itself. People want to be healthy. Those are two different things. Right. And what happens in America is we have worse health and we buy more healthcare and therefore it costs way more because we have a lot of market-based disincentives in the system. So the, the reality of it is a single payer or single provider system tends to clear out a lot of those inefficiencies and clears out a lot of the costs in the market. And so <clears throat> you have full healthcare for everybody like Robert, and at the same time we pay as a society far less for it. Um, and so we, I think, have to come to grips with the fact that healthcare is not like any other business. It's, it's fundamentally different. People don't actually know exactly what they need. You leave it to doctors who both make the decision about what you need and then give it to you. And that it's like, it's like going to a, um, uh, uh, going to a mechanic and you never know if the mechanic's actually telling you <laughs> everything you need or what he wants to, wants to, wants to sell you. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately what we have to be able to do is create the kinds of circumstances where it keeps everybody honest. Um, and government systems do that. Okay, uh, Dr. Abdul El Sayed, uh, Democratic candidate for governor in 2018, former health director for the city of Detroit. Thank you very much for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. All right. Up next, we are going to talk about the president's address to a joint session of Congress with Congressman Dan Kildee of Flint. Also joining us a little later will be Debbie Dingle of Michigan's uh, 12th District. Uh, stay with us on Detroit Today. Detroit Today.